I think it's adorable, actually. Um, and, and this is how many years of marriage? Uh, 42. Well, there you go. So after 42 years, you know, you've, you've got it under control. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. I don't know about that. Did, 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 did you want Alan's as well, though? Yes. So on the table in the um, conference room, you'll see a book with his sticky note on it that has his name on it. Well, hello. Well, look who it is. Here we go. Good morning, everybody. Let us pray and begin. There's Ross. There's Annie Brown. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. Remind me to ask you something after. Okay. <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. 
Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind, the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. But thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto thee we strive glory, together with thy Father, who is from everlasting, and all holy, good and life-giving spirit, now and ever, the ages of ages. Amen. In choir, we would say, Amen. Okay. Well, a little higher for you. Is that? Oh. <laughs> so Keith got me out of the jam this morning. He did. So we stopped the recording for the story? Is there a recording on yes. Charlie there? Well, Charlie's going to get back. Well, hold on. We'll pause the recording anyway. <laughs> Bails you out, Adam. All the time. <laughs> uh, a couple uh, uh, news items. Alan is probably not going to join us. I don't see him up there. He probably has physical therapy right yeah, now. Yeah, he's not there. But he sends his regards. He's doing well. Okay. Uh, you also have regards from uh, James and Maria. Uh, Maria ended up in the hospital. The same thing that probably Elias had. Maria, we're, we're keeping the uh, Maria landed from um, Holy Trinity. They oh. typically join us okay. virtually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they send their regards. She's doing well, but ask for your prayers. Hmm. So we're between all of us, myself included, we're keeping the, the neurology department active. So the lights went, he left, I went, I left, he went back, he left, and then we're there. Thank you. How long does she have to stay? Yeah. What's that? How long does she have to stay? We don't know. Okay, yeah, ask your prayers. Charlie. There's Charlie. Looks like he's on the porch. No. Well, you're you're muted, Charlie. Yeah, you're I'm muted. here. I, I'm I'm just in the uh, room with a lot of uh, windows, so I wish oh. I was tonight. Nice. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I want to make a general comment, and then we'll get into chapter thirteen where we are. Um, sometimes when we're studying the Bible, we have the sense of, well, I didn't know that, or gee, I never had that understanding before. And sometimes we feel a little guilty for that. We feel like we should have known things before. Uh, but actually, the way that scripture works, when we are corrected in a wrong understanding, that's a good thing. It's actually what the Bible is there to do. It's to take us from the understanding we had before. We encounter a text, a story, a narrative, whatever, and then we go, oh, I didn't see it that way before. That's actually a good thing. So I want us to not uh, see that as defeat. That's actually victory. That's why we're reading the scriptures. And it is, it is the story of the scriptures. People who thought they understood things, then they encounter God in whatever part of the story between Genesis and Revelation. And they were wrong, and they either won't acknowledge their wrongness and get more wrong, or they correct their wrongness and they go in the right way. So I want you to see that as we go through the story of the scripture and know that the same story is playing with us. That's how it works. It's, a, it's, it's what sometimes scholars, literary scholars call how, how scripture functions. You hear that a lot in 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 biblical literature, um, it's the function of it. It's what it does. I remember we built um, the function machine 
I think this was second or third grade math, where you took those old mill cartons, the square ones, you know, the kind of cardboard ones, um, waxy, you know, and you, we cut a hole in the top, we cut a hole in the bottom, and then you, we stuck in the piece of paper that when you put the thing in the top, it would automatically flip the card over. So if it said, you know, one plus one on one side and two was on the other, you put one plus one, comes out two. It does something to it. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. We were singing your praises earlier. That was usual. They didn't do the function machine? No. Oh, we did the function machine. Now I have to feel better about this. Yeah, run for room. Thank you. So um, that's how it functions. It, it functions on two levels. What's going on in the story or the narrative or whatever reading and what it does within us. And that's how it's supposed to work. Hmm. So when that happens to you, uh, leap for joy. Because that's what's supposed to be happening. All right. Um, now we're going to get into another parable. Remember we had the other parable, the first parable? of the sower with the seeds that we all learn together, myself included, that is the sort of archetypal parable. It's the first one. It's the one where he explains, excuse me, how parable works. So now we're going to another parable, but keep in mind the context of that first one. Think of what the, the messages were, the, the things we took out of it, because it connects very much to this one. So, and James apologizes. He could not read scripture for us this morning, <laughs> but uh, we'll ask for another volunteer. Charlie, you want to unmute and read for us? Sure, Father. Where, where are we, though? You're in chapter 13, and the section we're going to look at uh, is verses 24 to 30. Okay. <clears throat> another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that they we go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so let's think about, if you want to page back and look at the parable of the sower and the seed, what are the common elements? Not necessarily themes or lessons, there might be common ones, but in terms of the story he's telling, what do these share? Seeds. All right, seeds again. And weeds. Seeds and weeds, right? Weeds was one of the things we encountered the last time. The last one was about seed and soil. Weeds was one of the places or one of the situations that the seed ended up in. This is the only one. It's weeds, but we get a little more information about in this particular one about, about why the weeds are there in this one anyway. Why is it in red in this book? 
in this one why if you have a red letter edition like that the words of christ are in red oh yeah it's not in the hard cover though. no no we have a thief in this one we have a thief yeah in fact what's he called did you say thief or what was it called no, first what did he say here? 25. well men select his enemy an enemy we have an enemy and he planted the weeds right Ooh. what a slime yeah yeah <laughs> going doing that. yeah what's a terror weeds weeds yeah you have king james charlie you're king james yeah, actually, this is uh, from Bishop Theophilac or St. Theophilac's uh, commentary. So I think he's using the King James Version. Uh, okay. Well, good. Since I know you have that now, please uh, jump in with his commentary when appropriate. Okay. <laughs> he's one of the more prolific of Orthodox commentators. There aren't a lot of commentators that comment on a lot of scripture, but he's one of the few. You quote him a lot, don't you, Charlie, in class? Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Was he involved with Orthodox Study Bible or not? St. Deflect? No, he's... Or that's way before. Oh, yeah. I forget when he lived. Around 1,000, the year 1,000. Oh. A little bit earlier. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit earlier. <laughs> he wasn't on that committee. That's right. <laughs> he doesn't fit the forerunners, I'll tell you that. There you go. He's the four forerunners. <laughs> um let's see there's one more I, I think if i'm correct no all right so sort of <laughs> what's what is this parable about according to jesus and i'll give you a hint it's in verse 24 you know, this one blows me away. It's the kingdom of heaven. Yes. This is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> now, we're going to get corrected on what it means to think about the kingdom of heaven. Again, that's what scripture does. It takes us from what we think to what is. Um, now, the last one, the reason why I wasn't sure if the last one is in the parable itself, he doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is compared to or... Let me say a parable about the kingdom. So in the beginning, when he tells the parable in 13, 1 through 9, it just says it begins, the sower went out to sow. Okay. But when he explains it um, in verse 11, 10 and 11, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... It has not been given. So that's how we know it's a parable about the kingdom. It's not in the actual parable, but we hear about that later. So both are about the kingdom of heaven or some aspect of it. And when we, it may not be as we're thinking of this all happens in heaven. But we're going to see that when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about after the fact, typically. He's talking about getting there, which is an important point. Because a lot of people say, what's heaven like? We don't know a lot about it. We have a little bit of revelation, a little bit of some other spots. We have a whole lot about how we get there. First things first. There you go. Yeah, let's get there. Yeah. And we'll find out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's pair about the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, what else is in common? And think more about what happens. Well, they're planting stuff. Mm-hmm. He's telling them how to harvest. Okay, so just like in the first one, remember the first way, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, one of the elements of this is the, the, the produce, the product, the, the result, the harvest. So that's going to be a, a theme we're going to hear over and over again when it comes to the kingdom of heaven is there is an expected ROI, return on investment. So that's a, that's a theme in both of these. All right, so a lot of, of similarities. How is it different? What's unique about this one as compared to the other one? Well, there's only one planting. So it's, it's one story. It's not three different. And he's very one, Yeah, one situation. One situation. specific about don't pull the weeds out until the, the wheat grows, let them grow together. For a period of time, then get the mm -hmm. And why is he doing that? <laughs> well, um, he's saying that the, he the, tells the, us why, the yeah. wheat will come up with it. So he's he wants the wheat to have very strong roots and not pull it until it's ready to be reaped. Yeah, and twenty nine, he answers your question. Look at twenty nine. Yeah, if you pull the 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 weeds too soon, then the wheat will get killed too. Exactly. Does it also mean that you know the devil's there? You know, so you've got good and bad together. Isn't mm -hmm. giving the bad the devil, or maybe you crush the devil by having good things around them, or not? Well, he's saying let them both grow together. In other words, if it was bad for the wheat. For the weed to be growing next to it, he would have said, "Yeah, go and get the weeds out." So there's something about his telling the story to say it's actually not a problem to let the weeds grow next to the wheat. It's a problem if you pull them together, or if you try to get the weeds because you're going to get some of the wheat by accident. That letting them grow together is the way that it's supposed to work. Now, what is that saying? So what were the weeds in the last row? It doesn't say in this one, but in the last one he said, and there's at least one possible explanation. What were the weeds? Do you remember? Thorns. Yeah, but what, what did they do? What what were they? What was they compared to? What was the what were the example of? People that didn't heard the word but didn't didn't live it. Go back. Let's go back to uh, they choked out the seeds. There you go. Yeah. yeah. They choked out the seeds. In this case, he's letting them grow together. Well, yeah, hang on a second. Let's look. Let's, yeah, look at um, verse 22. What was sown among the thorns? And this you hears the word, but the cares of the world and the delight and riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, so here, is there a difference between a tear and a thorn? Um, that's a good question. My phone, it knows everything. What's that? My phone knows everything. <laughs> so what is it? I, well, I guess in this thorns choke, you know, you think of those, 
plants that like you know attack even, other plants. Even rose, but the thorns on the rose bushes, those are scarier than that if they've ever had a mean finger. Uh -huh. is, is the is the terror here the devil? So he That's told us, what is it? What's the relation? We haven't heard devil yet. We heard enemy. Enemy. Weed resembling weed. So it could be Christian, oh, okay. non-Christian, enemy, but they live together. Well, it's it's what the enemy sows. And why did the enemy do that? Sam has it. It's yeah. That tear is a weed that resembles wheat. Yeah. Ah. So there's the thing. So they look similar. Yeah. When young, when young, when young, okay. An, an injurious weed resembling weed when young, okay. Uh, so what's you too early? You, you'd be, you wouldn't distinguish between the good, okay. And the right. And what's the difference between them when they're fully grown? One bears one does not, and one produces and one does, okay. And what's the tear or the weed a result of? An enemy. Not this is not neutral. This is not like oh the seeds blew in on the wind. An enemy has done this. What's an enemy? You've had enemies, or you've seen enemies, or you know, what? What, what is it? Don't like you. They don't like you. And what do they do about not liking you? Yeah. They're mean. They want to hurt you. An enemy wants to hurt you. So. We're going to hear, yeah. Oh, um, hi. I recently read something, and I'm trying to remember what the source of it was, <clears throat> and I can't remember. But the idea of it was that if you have two uh, fields of wheat growing, and if one wheat, uh, one field has a lot of um, extreme weather, uh, very difficult. Uh, circumstances with wind and and diff difficult uh, animals. oh yeah animals trotting it down um the grain actually becomes uh has more protein in it when you actually harvest the grain and then a field where um the wheat has not had any difficulties to overcome the protein is not as nourishing hmm. That's true with wine too. Was it maybe it was Father Chad? It was Father Chad last Saturday. Uh, I don't know whether um, Sam, do you remember that comment when he was talking about that? Who? Father, Father Chad. Chad. Father Chad at the. Uh, but anyway, that's okay. But anyway, it was that's just like I thought maybe that has some something to do with what our discussion is right now. In that um, sometimes difficulty that we face in our external circumstances um, allows us to cling more closely and get more nourishment from uh, the Holy Spirit or from God as he's giving us strength to get through it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, the retreat I gave uh, a few weeks ago in Houston, it's a retreat I've given before. I do it on um, kind of keeping faith in the midst of chaos and confusion. And I gave him sort of nine areas to work on. And one, and one of the things I suggest is that we have to be clear on what the problems are in life. We typically define the problems as what we call the problems. There's not enough money. So-and-so got sick. Uh, I lost my job. Uh, the roof is leaking. The car's not working. 
um, I, you know, whatever, all the, what we call the problems. You pick up the book. <laughs> you didn't pick up the book. <laughs> the problem isn't the problem. You but listening. the problem isn't <laughs> the problem. The problem is that we think the problems are the problems. And actually, the problems, to get to your point, are actually beneficial. And if, if, if you think about your life, most of us in, in our lives, we think that we do better when life is good and we define good as easier. And then when life is harder, we say things like life is bad. I'm going through a bad time right now. I'm going through a, you know, a dark time, whatever. But think about your own spiritual growth. And think about the times that you've grown more, been more faithful, trusted God more. Typically, almost always, it's as a result of a difficulty. And conversely, almost always, when things are easy, we tend to get lax. We tend to lose our focus. Or not only that, when things are going well, um, you tend at some time just to think, well, that's because I did it. Right. Versus yeah. giving God you know, the glory. Exactly. You, you, you can get into that rut. Oh, things are going so well. It must be I'm doing something right. Right. Versus uh, thanking God for his blessings. Yep. So put this in the context of the whole story of Matthew. We're going to see Jesus encounter more and more difficulty himself to the point where they're going to crucify him. The worst difficulty anyone's ever faced. And we're going to see what the result of him going through that, what does that accomplish? And then his teaching was going to be, if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross. We'll get to that when it comes up, it hasn't come up yet, but you can see how the story is, is every part feeds into it. It's sort of like you've got a little bit of a stream. They say that in a certain place up in Minnesota, you can step over the Mississippi River. Wow. And then it keeps going down, it joins another stream, joins another stream, and it keeps all these streams keep fitting into it. All of these little streams, every parable, every little encounter, every miracle is feeding into the growing understanding of where the sort of the whole crescendo of the story goes. Um, so all this is going to become, it's not like, oh, here's a nice thing we learned. Now we go into something different. It's all coming together. Matter of fact, here in this little description in the Orthodox study Bible says, in, in opening to us the door of the kingdom of heaven, the parables help us to love God, to know God, to know him, to understand and believe his grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and to order our lives according to his word. So they all kind of fit. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Right. All right. So we kind of already jumped into the explanation. What do we get out of this? What's if Jesus is telling a story and he's not saying um, yet what all these things mean. He says, kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed. And then the enemy comes and all that. So trying to, to focus and limit ourselves to what we've read, as, a, as in other words, we want to we interpret as closely as we can what we heard. We don't want to jump out and say, well, it means this about things that are very far away. But looking closely, what can we gather? What, what are the lessons we learn out of this? Father, one of the things that uh, I think this speaks to is uh, I've heard the question asked, even in our church, 
Why does God allow things to happen that are contrary to his will and to his nature? Why doesn't God do something about, you know, hunger, poverty, violence, drought, you know, whatever it may be? And of course, one of the responses is, well, the reason we don't ask God about that is because we might be afraid that he might ask us the same question. What are you doing about it? Um, but the, to me, the answer to, to this is the fact that um, um, when you see things that are, are sown by the enemy, this parable is telling us uh, they are going to coexist until the final judgment. And the problem is this, that suppose God was to say, tonight at midnight, I'm going to destroy everybody and everything that is evil and sinful. How many of us would be around tomorrow to enjoy the new world? Mm -hmm. So there is a mercy in the grace of God. And this is a, to me, this is an explanation of why sometimes bad things coexist along with the good things that we see. But the thing that we as Christians have to remember is there is coming a day when there will be a judgment and a price to pay. What do you right. think? I think it's beautiful. And it is beautiful. It's, 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 it's very, it's, you didn't have to, you could keep a foot in the text and then apply it with the other foot. And always that's how you want to do it. So that's beautiful. And, you know, typically the moral of the story, the purpose of the story comes at the end. You know, you have a story that it leads to, and now here's, um, and so that, where this ends exactly where you ended, which is, this is about the harvest and our relation to the harvest that hasn't come yet. So at the end, in a future that we can't see yet, but he's telling us what's going to happen, there's going to be harvest time. And he's a teller reapers. Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the weed into my barn. Every farmer knows that's what you do. You get rid of the weeds, you keep the good. So, and we're going to see this emphasized in other parables of their teachings, where it's that end separation that we have to keep our focus on, despite what the current situation is leading up to it. And that gets to Kathy, your question that you never really uttered, but I, I kind of figured how is this a parable of the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, let's explore that okay. concept because um, it, it's really challenging. So, what do you think? How is it a parable of the kingdom? Well, if, if that is to, um, it resembles the world we live in now. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a, a mind shift we are witness to the kingdom of heaven mm -hmm. playing out. And so what does that mean? So is the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to return your question with a question, is it just what happens after we die? No. No. Right? Because this is a man who sows seed in his field. 
and his servants are in dialogue with him what to do about this. And at the end, at the harvest time, the weeds get gathered and, and bound and should be burned and the wheat gets gathered to the barn. So there's, there is no, in Jesus' teaching, there's no before and after in terms of the kingdom of heaven. There's not like, it's not yet, but for the story to be complete, yes, that harvest is a part of the story. It's an important part of the story. Um, but it doesn't start then. That's the, not the conclusion, but that's the, the summation of it. And during the time of that kingdom of heaven, the king suffers, dies, and is raised again. Yes. Well, isn't church the kingdom of heaven? Isn't this the kingdom of heaven? In some ways, it's the visible kingdom, because in church, theoretically anyway, this is where the king is recognized as the king. And this is where we address ourselves as his servants, right? Our title, once we are uh, baptized and chrismated, uh, when you get communed, how does the priest or deacon commune you? What does he say? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sometimes he's, yeah, what's your name? Say your name. <laughs> <laughs> he might say, say your name, and then hopefully. The devil. What's that? Do you renounce the devil? No, no. No, no not communion. Think about this. The servant of God, Linda, Linda. receives. Yeah. So her title is the servant of God. In Arabic, by the way, that's Abdallah. Or you put it together, Abdullah. Abdullah is the Abd, the slave of God, Allah. Yeah. See, we think Abd is Abd. Yeah. Abd is not black. Slave. Slave. Yeah. Well, but maybe that's where it comes from. Because slave, so the slaves were black, right? Yeah. So they would call them the Abid were the slave. That's why for I didn't know this growing up. That's a very I'll be terrible thing to refer to people as. I didn't know that at the time. That I thought they were black people. Yeah. But it's not really. slaves. Because yeah. we're the Abid. Yeah. Because we're the servants. And we're the slaves. Wow. Right. There's a take-home message for you. So in, in that sense, yeah, this is where the kingdom of God is is visible. But is there any place really where the kingdom isn't the kingdom? Not really. At least not in these stories. But, but this, one of the things that's on this scripture that's a little challenging for me is that if you have the wheat and the tares growing together, mm -hmm. but the tear in this particular parable is not saying, well, you could become wheat. No. So it's not like you could be forgiven of that enemy. Well, if if you assume that the tear is a person, yeah, you got a, you got a conundrum there. Okay. We don't know that. Okay. We all we know is that it came from the enemy, and anything coming from any enemy is there to hurt the person that the enemy considers an enemy. So could that be a temptation? Could it be a difficulty? Um, could it be riches, luxury, ease? It could be anything. What we do know is that it comes from the enemy to hurt us. Well, one of the things I've always challenged you, what do you want to, you know, why do you want to associate with some people that are the enemies, but they're always, I think the lesson there is they're always going to be there. They're not going to go away. Who's they? The enemy. 
I mean, there's going to be others. So how, who, who would be considered an enemy? To me, it'd be someone that's not Christian. Okay. So that's I mean, a I don't good... look at, like, if I'm a Republican, someone's a Democrat, they're the enemy. Right. No. Okay. Or Michigan, Michigan State, right. they're not an enemy. Well, you right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Right. Uh, yeah. But if you look at Christian, non-Christian, you know, I, I look at that. That, to me, is, is an enemy. Okay. So, good. This is a way to explore this whole scripture is going to say, okay, that's what we come to it with. And we come to it from the intention of this is what either we're taught or we assume is true. What does scripture say about that? Is are are these are are these weeds or tares, are they non-Christians? We don't see that. We don't know for sure. Now, as the story is going to go on, what is one of the worst accusations they're going to make about Jesus? That he eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. So his, so he's mixing with to him, him, those aren't enemies. But they would consider us to love your enemies. Yeah, love your enemies. Good. So that's why we have the we. If we're the we, we have to be coexistent with the tares. But the tares aren't the enemy. The enemy planted the tares. Well, right. So they're his minions. Well, right. I, if 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 they consider us enemies, whoever they are, whatever what they are, do we need to consider them enemies? Not according to, to what we're reading now. But you just said earlier that they will try to hurt you. Yes. So you can't be oblivious to them. You have to be aware of them. Yes, but are they enemies to us? We're enemies to them. Oh, the question is, are, are they enemies to us? Because you're right. A lot of people would say, well, non-Christians or sinners are enemies of Christians. But again, you read the story and the scripture says, well, wait a minute. Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners. If Jesus had enemies, at least from their point of view, he was the religious leaders. Yeah. I always thought that if you don't associate with those of them that aren't Christian, how are we going to convert anybody? We have to. Yeah, he said, you're the light of the world. Yeah, we have to associate with them. I don't think those people. Those, those people. Those people over there. But he's not talking about Christian and non-Christian in there. Correct? He, he doesn't say that, and, but and we're it, testing that theory. Is does that support that kind of a division? This doesn't. And uh, I always uh, think of that is one that is is trying to do harm, not if they're Christian or not Christian. It's right, and you'd say that they were they consider you an enemy. Yeah. Nothing we're reading says you need to consider them an enemy. No. Right. But an enemy planted the weeds in the night. Father, the weeds, that, the weeds might cause us not to grow or might cause us problems if we're the weed. Well, are do they cause us problems? I don't know. According to the story, Father, do the weeds cause not really. a problem? According to the story, no. it doesn't look like it. Yeah, go ahead, Carolyn. Saying, I'm thinking about the fact that the, the phrase is while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. So um, could it be referring to um, a condition of not being attentive um, to where maybe it's a, um, a negative passion or a, a bad passion that sows itself 
while the person is not being attentive? It, it could be. So let's test the theory. Um, nowhere in the story does he say because the men were sleeping. And, and in other words, when you get to the moral of the story, he doesn't say so, stay up all night. So again, this is a good example. We want to we want to get our our we want to we might guess at it, and that's good to like explore, but nothing in here so far is saying the problem is the fact that men slept. Why why is that important? Because the man sows good seed, um, and then when they come up, all of a sudden there's weeds, and there's a question about. From the from the servants, didn't you sow good seed? Because you know, think about good seed or bad seed. Good seed is pure; it's only the wheat, right? If you look at grass, you know, I was planting grass last year, and you look at and it tells you what percentage of the bag you're buying is certain things, and it's not all right. good grass. I learned you got to spend a lot of money <laughs> to get grass seed that's just grass. <laughs> so. Um, it was good seed. Well, didn't you plant good seed? So according to the story, what's important to know is that what is sown from the householder is good. He sowed only good seed. And not only that, but he sowed it in his field, not yes. the path, not amongst right. weeds. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So how then has it weeds? Sorry. Good. No, I was just going to say the explanation kind of explains the whole thing. Let me read the whole thing. Sure. This parable builds on the previous parable of the sower. Here, Christ gives attention to the enemy who has sown his seed among the seed of Christ. As falsehood came after truth and false prophets came after true prophets, so the Antichrist will come after Christ. Just as the weeds first appear similar to wheat, so the devil fashions his lies to resemble the truth. That the devil sows while men slept indicates that heresy and lies creep in when people are apathetic. This parable also explains, this part's good. This parable also explains why the church neither condemns nominal members nor judges those outside the church. Just as wheat would be destroyed in weeding out the tares, so also many people who might ultimately find salvation would otherwise be lost if condemned before Christ's judgment. Is that with or without a giving envelope? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like what we talked about with the abortion issue and all uh, that. I mean, I, that's how I saw it. We had this discussion. Why doesn't the church come out and say something right. about all that? Right. That's that's part of it. And, and a lot of times people will say, especially younger members, like converts, some of them would say, well, gee, look at all these people. They show up late for church and they just keep coming and Father doesn't say anything or only says things once in a while. Like, why do we put up with all this stuff? It is that idea of the, the priest following Christ. You want to, you want everyone growing up, you want to give them every opportunity because only at the end is are the is the fact that the weed is a problem. And it's never really a problem for the wheat, right? All the way through the story, the wheat, the wheat. The, the weed is not a problem unless they were to pull up the weeds too early. And, and that idea of it being similar kind of helps understand why that may be. You, we might be hurt in the process. The wheat might be hurt in the process. 
like the prodigal son, same thing. You gotta give, give the prodigal son a chance to come back. Exactly. It's kind of like what you said. The tears really aren't a problem. We make it a problem, maybe, but they're not a problem. Right. It's, or it's not a problem in yeah. this story. When people talk about, you know, um, Jesus saying, you know, easier for rich man to go through an eye or a camel to thrive and a rich man in the kingdom. The riches aren't the issue. The riches make it difficult, but it's still up to the person to make their choices. So, again, the problem isn't the problem. <laughs> Let me share a couple quotations uh, about this. This is St. Augustine about the weeds. The Lord then explained for us what he had said. See what we choose to be see what we choose to be in this field see which of the two will be at harvest time the field is the world and the church is spread throughout the world let the one who is wheat persevere until the harvest let those who are weeds be changed into wheat this is there is this difference between people and real grain and real weeds for what was grain in the field is grain and what were weeds are weeds but the lord's field which is the church at times what was grain turns into weeds and at times, what were weeds turns into rain. That's no one knows what they will be yeah. until tomorrow. That's so the the weed, the weeds could become weeds. Yeah, he says not in the physical world, but right in the kingdom. Yeah. Now that's saying something that isn't in this parable. Is, yeah, is that supported elsewhere? So that's 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 Augustine, and and nobody is perfect in their interpretation. Um, and certain schools of thought took more liberties. Um, I, we've never talked about schools of, of liturgical, of uh, biblical thought. Let me say a few words about it now. Um, when His Eminence uh, Metropolitan Antonius was here last week, among the clergy, we met with him in the afternoon. We really spent some time talking about what is the spirit of Antioch? Because we're part of the Antiochian Archdiocese, part of the Patriarchate of Antioch. And, you know, what's orthodox is orthodox, but it's also true to say that every, every place where orthodoxy has developed has a slightly different character and personality. And they're developed um, really two principal schools of how to read the Bible. And one is generally called the Antiochian school, and one is generally called the Alexandrian school, based in Alexandria, Egypt. The Antiochian school always kept a very close tie between the text and the application. So we, we're, we're always tethered to what it says, and we never really go too far. We're very practical about it. We don't get into sort of high-flying theories or, well, you have this thing here. But it means it could mean all these things over here. Because you know, here's St. Augustine, who's making a big leap. To say that, well, in the text, a weed can't become wheat, but in the kingdom it can. And he was from Alexandria. So he wasn't, but you can see where um, that kind of a, what we often call an allegorical approach. They see the Bible more as allegory, and because it's allegory, you can do, you can play with it a lot more. So Antiochia. Alexandria, is that? Yeah. Um, and that school. So it wasn't just in Alexandria, but you had those writing in that, when I say school, don't think of like a building, a school, but a, a way of thinking about it, a philosophy, a pattern, a value system. 
And, and so the rest of the Christian world tended to fall into those schools. And some were exclusively, you know, extremely one side or another. Some kind of jumped, you know, back and forth. Augustine, I wouldn't say he's hard on the allegorical side, but he, he does take more liberties than. And it's interesting. One of the reasons why Orthodox theology ends up differing from Catholic and then later Protestant theology St. Augustine is the most influential early writer in the Western church. So this is long before there's a Protestant, any Protestant churches. Um, he, if you look, if you go in our library, you'll see the, the early Christian writing texts. Um, and he's got one whole shelf and then you've got two shelves for everybody else. So literally, so what's the translated English? He's one out of every three. It's, it's Saint. So he just wrote a lot. And he did not read and write Greek. So he's not reading the same biblical text. And he's not reading what other commentators in the East, which is what becomes the Orthodox Church. When did he live? Uh, 300s, 400s. Anybody remember when St. Augustine was living? Yeah, I think so, you're right about the, the fourth century. Fourth okay. So he didn't read Greek. They must have translated into yes. Latin. He's reading the Latin New Testament. Okay. And in one verse, we'll go into today, but in one verse, how he understood it wrongly, because the Latin was a terrible translation of Greek, a whole system is going to develop, which leads into what becomes the sort of dominant idea in both Catholic and Protestant ideas about why how jesus saves us and it ends up with the whole jesus pays the price on the cross so augustine starts it um anselm's other one then you get um thomas aquinas and the the protestant theologians even though they're protesting against catholicism that's all they have so they were they've been steeped in the what we might call a western school of thought or theology so even if they're protesting against aspects of Catholicism, they're still steeped in it. So if you ask a Catholic and a Protestant, how does Jesus save us? Their answer is pretty much the same. Even if one would talk about, you know, the Virgin Mary and the Pope and the other one wouldn't. But in terms of Christ and salvation, very similar. On the Orthodox side, very different. We don't have any idea of Christ paying the price for our sins, which begins really in, in powerfully in Augustine. So, yeah, he's, he's a very influential figure. How does grace save us? As Our well. version of it, in, in short, is that, <clears throat> which is actually, it's important to us to go to Christmas. For us, Jesus taking on our flesh, Jesus becoming human, is as important for our salvation as his crucifixion or resurrection. <clears throat> and because we don't see it as a payment kind of thing, like, well, God the Father demands perfection, Jesus paid the price, so anybody who gets on Jesus' side, he, he bought your ticket for you, you can go because you believe in him. Ours is, we were made to be immortal like Adam and Eve. We left the source of life and were infected with, by our sin, more sin, more desire for sin, um, our mortality, and trying to escape our mortality, we have other sins where we 
literally are trying to save ourselves from death, and all our sins are connected to that fleeing of death somehow. A few layers deep, but it's not, it's there. Um, Christ comes and redeems humanity, and with his humanity conquers death. And then he says, if you want to be saved, pick up your cross, follow me. So that's why we put those icons, by the way, in the, in the church on the, on the baptismal font, was to show that our baptism joins us into the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So we would be ascended and infused with the Holy Spirit, just like we see in his. So we join with him. And so if, if we are sinning, it's not that we are um, giving up our, our good ticket. It's not like we're, you know, giving up on what Jesus. It's that we are not attached to him, and he's the one who can take people through death to life. So in our baptism, what happens? You go under the water. You go into death, and then you come out again. And we're baptized into Christ. If you go through that water without Christ, you die. So it's Christ and being attached to him. And so if you take this parable, what's the parable? Stay wheat. <laughs> Don't let the weeds get you. Stay to the end, because in the end, the wheat goes into the barn and the weeds get burned. So stay wheat. For us, that's our salvation is we stay with Christ. We don't earn it, but if we're going to stay, we're with him, then our lives should look like that. Look like we are with Christ. Protestants hear that, and they, they say, well, that's what, what some of them call um, works righteousness, that we earned our way in. Well, we're not into earning or not earning. That's not, that's not even a thing for us. Oh, I was going to um, say that about um, bundles where he first he burns the tares and then he brings the wheat into the barn. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, which we're going to hear again in about 20 uh, or uh, 12 chapters, we get to Matthew 25, which is the separating the sheep from the goats. He's into separation. He's, yeah, he's into telling us there's going to be a separation. But what he's into is now is saying there is no separation. Guard yourself because you're not separated now. You got weeds all around you. Or even those that believe, you're no better than those that don't believe. Yeah, because if you believe, then you'll do what's right. And that's, again, a, a, a difference in Orthodox, particularly with Protestantism. For most modern Protestants, saying you believe in Jesus is what brings you salvation. We agree with that as long as we define belief by what it really means. We trust in him. And if you trust in someone, you do what they tell you to do. Right? So Sam's my dentist. He says, oh, you got to do this, 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 this. If I say, well, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I don't trust him. I'm not going to get the benefit of what he's offering. I'm going to do it my way. If my way is right, I'm okay. If my way is wrong, it wasn't the right way. I'm in trouble. So belief in Jesus is not saying I believe in Jesus. I said the sinner's prayer. I'm fine. It's I trust him, and my life shows that I trust him. That's the works part. I mean, right? Say that, but right for us, it's, it's the proof of the believer. First, our life was not just the work at one point in time. It was correct, consistent living and walking with Christ. Yes, but with the exception of repentance and cross, because repentance. Um, 
because of Christ's love and mercy, erases the sins we repent of. So yes, it's a cumulative example or a cumulative collection of, of all of what our life says, only he gives us this wonderful provision of love and mercy where it says, if you repent, I forgive you. Those are no longer, they're not on our list of indebtedness. So you hear about the end later on, you hear about books being opened. It's basically, it's a ledger. We're gonna open the ledger. What do you owe? What have you done? What have you taken? And therefore, what do you owe? The sins that we repent of, the debts were removed. There's no liability listed. The ones we haven't repented of, they're still there. We have to answer for them. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy, isn't that for sure? Which is why we're at confessions one time last night. Yeah. You should have seen the line. <laughs> uh, Father, if yeah. could, I, could I offer an illustration that helps me in the concept of belief? To expand Please. on that just a moment, um, the story is told of a high wire artist who stretched a wire across the uh, Niagara Falls. And to a watching crowd, he walked across there pushing a wheelbarrow. Yeah. And when he got back to the other side, he asked the people in the crowd, do you believe that I can do this again? To which one man replied, yes, I just saw you do it. I believe you can. And the man said, if you really believe, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> there you go. Yikes. Love it. <laughs> That's great. See, this is why, by the way, somebody's going to approach you. Uh, a suggestion is made to me that we need a weekly a moment with Nicholas. Yeah, oh, that would be good. So you're gonna have your own little video podcast and share little stories. You should. Now, now I'm not saying how much of the physical resemblance you bear to our patron, <laughs> but that's an added bonus. That's a good point. Oh my goodness, that'll have to be something I have to think and pray about for sure. You'll you'll get a phone call soon. I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> a moment with Nicholas. Charlie, are we going to see you Saturday, Sunday? Yeah, God willing, if the if the weather holds, I'll be there. Okay, great. Beautiful. I've got some books for you guys. Is that one of those excuses? Like I'm married. <laughs> I, I got this. I got that. I have that snowfall. <laughs> yeah, snowfall. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Father. Thanks very much.